the show you need to get what you desire by avoiding the mistakes made by others before you. Learn the stories and journeys of what success looks like to find the freedom you deserve while thriving with your best life. And now I present to you the one, the only Rapid Results with Andrew Wise. Welcome back to another episode of Rapid Results with Andrew Weiss. We have an incredible super guest today, Justin Hall. And for those who don't know who this Justin guy is, he says that people pay him to become a partner in their businesses in order to accelerate the growth of their company for increased value at exit. On top of that, Justin is a business growth architect who partners with and acquires home service companies to engineer multi-million dollar exits. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the stage Justin Tell us, what is the biggest, most badass professional accomplishment you're most proud of? Man, it's a, it's a good question. Um, I don't want to, I guess, I guess I'll keep it super me focused so that I don't, I don't, you know, because there have been a lot of things I'm super proud of, right? But probably the, the, the biggest thing would be that, you know, roughly, roughly six years ago, my passport was seized by the Thai government. I was thrown in jail in Thailand and charged with uh, arms trafficking, basically. And facing a decade in prison and extorted for everything I had and then some and basically had to uh, basically buy my way to freedom. Right. And uh, and today people, you know, like like you said, pay me to partner and basically in order to accelerate the growth of the, the company or the business and multiply the value of the business at exit for basically a much larger number than they would otherwise be capable of. That that journey is probably the, the thing I'm the most proud of. But uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, I guess that's the best answer because it encompasses all of the successes that led up to that and, and beyond. So <laughs> I'm definitely excited to dive into that story and, and, and get there here pretty soon. So as, as we kind of go back in time, and of course, we'll come back to the story. Tell us a little bit of your, of your journey of entrepreneurship, of business endeavors, of sales endeavors. Like, obviously, you didn't wake up one day at four years old and go, I'm going to start a business one day and be a, <laughs> and scale these companies. Like how, how the heck did you get to this point? <laughs> so, so oddly enough, it's funny. I was like four when I was like the classic, like lemonade stand thing, but I said, I'm going to do it a little differently. So I went and found shiny rocks and I, I put them in a box and I said, come to my crystal stand. Right. And this, uh, you know, people were buying, I think for 20 or 50, 25 or 50 cents. Right. And I was really excited about it. I was trying to, I think I was trying to get money for one of my regular Nintendo games or something back in the day. And, uh, cause I think I've just gotten it for Christmas. And, uh, <laughs> uh, this guy came up and he, and he handed me basically like the first money in my life and that he gave me, I think it was 20 bucks. He said, I'll buy them all from you. Keep doing what you're doing. That's awesome. And you know, like that's kind of stuck with me forever. Uh, I actually went to scout camp when I was in middle school and found that everyone showed up with money and everyone loved pocket knives that you couldn't buy them there. So the next year I showed back up, I bought hundreds of dollars worth of knives off a shop at home and whatever. And then I resold them at camp for 10, 15 and 20 bucks and came home. You know, my mom was like, what have you been doing at scout camp? (laughs) Uh, Because, you know, I came back home with just this fat stack of money. So I've kind of always had the the recognition for opportunity. Not that like it takes a genius to start a a lemonade stand as a kid, right? It's kind of that that thing. But, um, you know, I've, I've always just enjoyed competition and, uh, and, and working hard to, to be better for myself or whatever it is. I, I wrestled 
So I think that's got a lot to do with like the, the focus in it. But getting into entrepreneurship formally uh, was kind of accidental. Um, some life circumstances kind of forced me into a, a hard decision about, you know, pursuing my education, pursuing my profession. What's the balance going to be? And it, it kind of threw me headfirst into sales when I wasn't necessarily looking for that to be what I was doing at the time. Wasn't the path I'd paid for, my, you know, picked for myself necessarily. But I, I got really solid at it, uh, ended up rising through the ranks and moving to kind of open my own area under this company. But it was all on my own dime, on my own time, all my own results. And so that was that was what I fell into, if you will, uh, found I was really as solid at it. Right. Uh, to put it mildly, uh, did really well, did things that had never been done in that place before. And still have great friends to this day, uh, business partners to this day that I, I'm, I know and, and, and am super close with, family-like with, uh, if you will, based on those experiences. And so I did that for a number of years. But that also taught me a lot of, a lot of great lessons for the way that it ended and the way that I exited, uh, which was not the entrepreneur's dream um, in that it was, it was really kind of a personal nightmare for me. And it first forced me to really re-examine the path I was on and what I believed about the journey. And so in a lot of ways, I was fortunate to kind of get kicked in the teeth and take my lumps. You know, I had been 24 and I had a lot of sales, right? Like I trained hundreds and hundreds of people, probably over a thousand people to sell at that point. I had an active team of uh, you know, well over 60, probably in the range of 80 to 90 sales reps and then dozens of employees and you know, five territories uh, that had come out of my own territory. So there was uh, an enormous amount of learning, right, and responsibility. And, I, and by the way, for anyone who thinks this was like, if they're listening and they think this was like a cakewalk, I was working like 100, 120 hour weeks for basically wow. 50, 51 weeks for five straight years, getting right. all that, right? So, so doing unprecedented things took unprecedented effort and commitment. But again, I had, you know, I just had a super bad taste in my mouth, uh, really almost turned me off from the entire entrepreneurial journey there. And I had, I had uh, experienced earlier in my life the failures of what happens in the entrepreneurial journey from some lessons in my family from a business that had, had gone under and saw basically the way that life can change overnight when when those doors shut down, you know, when, you, when the padlock goes on the doors and the business no longer operates. And so... So I was I was optimistic, but cautious and also like this grizzled old veteran coming in from day one because I'd seen what had happened in my family. And so, you know, to answer the, the question, that's kind of what got me started in it was I, I left really I left that, uh, you know, I kind of shut down my first business, if you will. And I and I had a lot of hard lessons from that, but it inspired me to not want to see other people suffer through that the way that I had seen people do. And so I started working and in in for myself, I started my consulting company and, you know, kind of got out on my own and started working with entrepreneurs, uh, small, primarily main street businesses. I tend not to work with companies that are any larger than like 50, 60 million a year. But uh, I really specialize now in companies doing a couple million to about 10 million, uh, helping them, you know, uh, grow up and exit basically. But that's, you know, I hope that answers the question as to how I kind of got into it. There's a, a lot of steps in between. But uh, that was that was the start was a solid background in sales and moving into taking the responsibility literally at the paycheck level. Right. Like putting my own money where my mouth was moving and 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 taking that responsibility to, to grow up and bring people along with me in that journey. So 
And so, so you said you got involved in a family business and you said that family business, um, had to shut its doors. No, no, no. When I was in high school, my, my family's business shut its doors. And so, Oh, oh, so you you experienced that. You said like what, what life is like not having any money per se. Uh, let's put it this way. It certainly wasn't the fun part of the roller coaster, right? Like, uh, I heard your dad talk about the, uh, the roller coaster analogy on the episode that you did. And, and, you know, and I love, by the way, some of the stuff he had about the habits of seeking opportunity uh, and, and some of those highs, they force the lows, but some of those lows give you the momentum to ride mm-hmm. back up. Right. And so that was a, a low for me and an inspiration. You know, it's still at a level drives me to this day to make sure that when I and that's why I take what I do so seriously. Right. Because I understand what it's like when a business is let down. No, understand that it's like at a at a core level, it's a lot more than just any in going away and some corporate filings not happening. It's it's food not being on tables. It's it's hard conversations about where you're living and and what's going to happen and what's available for kids. I mean, there's there's a lot to it, right? And it's not just your family. If you have a business, it's probably a lot more families than just yours. So so I you know I, that's what I bring to the table. You know, with a lot of the alignment with my partners, is we're all on the same page about what we're trying to do and why we're trying to do it. Yeah, and 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 going back to you know being able to work fifty hour or you know, hundred hour weeks for fifty one, fifty two weeks or for five years straight. So th- did that come after the the low of the roller coaster where you experienced this? Uh, yeah, that that was. I I left school and I basically was like, all right, if I'm not going to do that, I'm going to throw myself into this next thing. And so that, that really, uh, and it was, you know, probably closer to four years working that level, but you know, that, that prior year was also, uh, you know, not it, like, it felt like a breeze cause it was only 80 hour weeks, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. um, comparatively, mm-hmm. but you know, I basically tried to cram five careers into that many years and, you know, uh, everybody's heard about the cliche, right. The 10,000 hours. I don't want to, mm-hmm. you know, rehash a whole bunch of stuff like that. But, you know, there's some, there's some serious validity to that. And I, I'd experienced that in anything I wanted to get good at in life prior to entering into business for myself. And so I, I said, Hey, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it hundred percent. But one of the lessons I pulled from that is I don't do that anymore. Right. Yeah. It's not worth it. I would tell no one you should be doing that ever again. Like don't listen and think that's the path. That was one of the things that led to me ultimately being very unhappy at exit. And one of the lessons I bring immediately to partnership right? It's like, Hey, let's get you doing less in this business right away. So I hope that, I hope that answers that question. You know? Yeah. Really and, and, uh, it makes me want to ask too, you know, um, my fiance and I, I, we love the, the matrix series, just like apparently the rest of the world, you know, but I know the fourth one people have mixed reviews on, but yeah. you know, I, I like, uh, there's, a, there's another viral guy right now named Andrew Tate and, uh, Casey you haven't heard of him on social media, basically he's worth hundreds of millions of dollars or, or, hundred million dollar plus and he shows off his lifestyle all the time of how he just drives supercars and goes to parties and does whatever he wants, whatever he wants. And he's like, I made it out of the matrix and I want you to be able to make it out of the matrix too. And so, you know, being a guy who, you know, you help these multi-million dollar companies, you scale these multi-million dollar companies, give advice to create these multi-million dollar companies. It feels like you're someone who's also quote unquote made it out of the matrix. We are like, Oh, I, I, <laughs> I know what life is like on the other side now. And, and I'm curious when did you feel like you, you made that happen if you agree with uh, what I'm saying? <laughs> so I, uh, it's a very interesting way to look at it. And sure, yeah, I think uh, so. I think it boils down to sure. I, I, I would say, yeah, I do what I want when I want. And I have for the since I left that business, basically, I said one of the things I'm going to make 
a tenant in my life and like a, a core non-negotiable pillar that I build around was control and autonomy of my time and resources. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and really being in control, like, am I doing this because it aligns with my beliefs and what I value and everything else, because I sacrificed a lot to learn those hard, hard lessons. Like I, I joke with people all the time. I'm like, yeah, I took the lessons of like a 55 year old grizzled, you know, man running a business, but I was not even 25. But I also learned like before I had any of the things that that person who would be 55 would have it at stake, right? I didn't have the family dependent on me. I didn't have you know, the, the house with the mortgage, I didn't have all these other things that, that could be put at risk. So it was really the optimal time to take all those lumps, lessons, bruises, and, you know, breaks, and then go heal and reemerge stronger, better and faster and all that good stuff. So, so yeah, in, in a lot of ways, if you want to talk about breaking out of the matrix, it talks, you know, you really have to kind of tear down the, the, the limiting beliefs that you're clinging to, if you will. Um, cause I think I was, I was, well, I was, uh, 20, yeah, basically 24 when I left, uh, when I shut that, you know, that part of my life down and moved on. And so coming up on 11 years, yeah, well, over 11 years of just total autonomy with my time, which has been fantastic. And so you can create whatever life you want. You can do these things, but it also takes, it's not just like, Oh, I want that. It's, you got to build the systems, the structure, the foundation, everything that it takes to get that autonomy of your time. Right. And you got to be willing to take the risks and possibly the losses that come with that. Right. It's not all been, uh, you know, roses, rainbows and sunshine. Right. And, you know, you know, unicorns and sprinkles, so to speak, it's been, you know, so there's a lot of, a lot of bad with the good, but if you take something from everything and you learn to level yourself up with that, that's how you escape the matrix. Mm, I love that. I love that. And so it sounds like, uh, you know, and, and if we were to use hypothetical numbers, like let's say at 24 years old, you're, you're making six figures a year. When, what was the, was, was 24 that year where you saw the biggest growth in your own income as well? When oh, fuck no. Actually, it was oh. a whole opposite. No, oh. that's, that's why I got out. Uh, I, my, Business was growing as I was killing myself to make it happen. And there was less and less meat on the bone for me. And there was less and less. And so that's why, you know, like people talk about the sexy stuff like top line revenue and, oh, I made six figures and yada, yada. It's like, okay, well, what did you have to do to get it? Because if you're making 50 grand a year and you're working three hours a year, pretty good. <laughs> right? like, do you, do, are you really going to be impressed by the guy who's like working 80 hour weeks to make one Oh five? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like, so, so again, it's all juice work to squeeze. And I think people get way too fixated on three things that do not exist, which is uh, money, time and numbers. Mm-hmm. They're they're They just don't exist. Right. Money is a, is simply a, fictitious representation of a, a very real thing called value numbers are a fictitious representation of a very real thing called proportion. And time is a very fictitious construct of a thing called cycle. Interesting. Interesting. Right? And so people allow these things that don't actually exist to dictate what they do. And so that that's breaking through the matrix to just hammer home that a little harder. Right. Uh, and, and, and by the way, 
do not shatter your matrix if you don't have the tools around you or the support around you to rebuild your reality in a healthy, functional way, because that's what leads people down very dark paths that end very badly. Um, and so make sure it's almost like, you know, like you hear uh, recently, Rogers was in the news, like, you know, talking about his his journey, right? Like, and that's, that's great. I know people that do that kind of stuff too, but you need to be prepared for that. It's not for the lay person. It's not for, you know, somebody just showing up day one. It's like, if you know, you don't send kids from peewee football to go play in the NFL. So, you know, it's just making sure people are really ready for that. Cause even in the, I believe even in the original matrix, they say sometimes we unplug people and they can't make it. Yeah. That's really right? true. So, yeah. So that's, that's the other side is you gotta be prepared and ready. You got to be rugged enough. Right. I actually just recorded uh, an episode of uh, uh, something else earlier. And we were talking about basically the difference between weight and stress as an entrepreneur and the difference Mm. between the two. And most people choose to make weight stress because they don't prepare and put the systems and structure and support in place to make the weight bearable. Right. And so it becomes chronic stress that leads to burnout, that leads to inactivity, that leads to spinning your wheels and feeling like you're not getting anywhere. You know, because you can do really, you can do more, you can do whatever you put your mind to, right? Uh, I'm, I'm thankful for this partner because he continuously blows my mind about what's possible and challenges me to leave my limiting beliefs and my, you know, uh, that I've been clinging to really hard. He challenges me to leave those in the, in the past. And I, I'm just very thankful for that because it's a continual process, right? Because the matrix always wants to claw you back, right? It has a lot of gravity to pull you back down to it. Mm-hmm. And so it's a, it's a continual investment in your ability to continue staying ahead of it, right? That and that's part of that leveling up. You know, the the more you do so, the more you change and adjust and shift your focus, right? Because when you're at a certain level, you have to focus on certain things. But if you stay focused on those things, you'll never level up, right? And so navigating those transition periods is usually where people drop the ball and kind of fail. But it's also an opportunity to really put your skills to test and see: Are you ready for the responsibility that comes at the next level? Yeah. And, uh, and I loved how you said too, like, you know, I, I think about that a lot, how, you know, you have people who are able to lift, you know, 300 pounds, are able to run uh, 10 miles at a five minute pace, but you can't just do that right away. And, you know, I, you know, and you hear stories of that too, you know, people who win the lottery, you tried to run like that. Yeah, 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 exactly. And like people who, who win the lottery, you know, a lot of them go broke because they're, they don't know how to handle Almost it. They spend all. it all. Yeah. yeah, yeah, which is crazy. File um, bankruptcy. I believe it's like nine out of 10 file bankruptcy after winning the lotto. Don't quote me on that number. I'm not looking at it. But <laughs> okay. It's, it's no, an insane. I believe it. Yeah. It, it's, it's a majority of people. Um, and there's a lot of research out that out there. So feel free to, you know, fact check it if you're listening. Right. No, 100%. Uh, uh, and so going back to yeah, the, the matrix, you know, as, as you know, of course, a big part of, and when I say matrix, you know, I think about, you know, like the episode with my, my dad it was like the, the nine being in the nine to five, like, Oh, I have to work 40 hours a week, nine to five. I only get two weeks off a year. Uh, most people, it's unfortunate. I think the job is has factions at like 60% in the country right now. Um, they're not making the money they want. They don't have the freedom they want. And so, of course, a big part of getting out of that matrix is, you know, what you're an expert at is, is sales. And, and so I'm curious um, more about your, your your sales journey. How did you figure out how to be so good at it? What was like the first big sales deal you made? You're like, oh, I can make out of the matrix if I keep doing this. Uh, tell us about that. Well, so so first thing, just let me let me also 
push back on. If you have a job in America and you think you have a reason to believe you don't have freedom, shut the fuck up, get to work and level yourself up. Stop marrying your excuses or just admit that you're complacent and comfortable where you're at, because that's the people literally lose everything, give up everything and sacrifice everything to get here, to get a foot at the starting line. So the only person holding you back is you. So I will, I will say that, but, uh, to answer, uh, the, the question, uh, about getting into sales, which by the way, ties into what I just said, because sales is literally nothing but the decision-making process that you use for yourself. Mm -hmm. Right. And understanding that everyone's is fundamentally programmed the same. And so once you, once you understand that sales is about value exchange and communication, and it's about empowering people to make decisions that benefit them rather than trying to think of it in a way that you're taking from people or that you need to manipulate them or, or outmaneuver or do something to people, right? You're helping people when you're truly in, in the sense of, of, of sales. But I also want to just clarify for anyone listening, you can't sell anything people can only decide to buy from you. Mm. And so when you make that fundamental shift in your belief about what selling is, it changes your entire approach about, oh, I have to go like do this thing to people to like, oh, I just help as many people as possible and I'm going to change the world in a better way, right? And if you start viewing it through that lens and as a vehicle to help people achieve and acquire and do what they want, then it is also you will there there's the fact that you will benefit along the way from doing so and there's nothing negative with that if you're helping people integrate situations i will not excuse anyone who's a two-bit carpet bag brown suit used car sales person sleaze moron uh there's some very well-known people that i would just tell you their sales philosophy is a bunch of garbage you know, the people who are the hardcore closer kind of people and just all that. I just, it's a bunch of nonsense and you don't have to do it because when you understand sales at a, at a fundamental level, you also see that it applies to every stage of business. And it's the most important skill you can have as an entrepreneur because everything you're doing is selling. You're selling yourself on getting up in the morning. You're selling people on buying your product. You're selling people on being on your team. You're selling investors on taking a flyer on you. You're selling yourself on keeping going with this crazy fucking journey you signed up for. Right. And when you're, when you're not enjoying the roller coaster and you're ready to hurl, but you, you know, if you just ride the thing till the end, it comes to the station and you're going to be happy about it. You know, sales permeates literally everything. And so if you understand it from a fundamental level, you can see that it's literally the decision-making process. It will iron out your SOPs in your company. It will iron out marketing. It will iron out Mac. Uh, advertising, it will iron out your sales process. It will iron out your HR, your recruiting. Like it's, it's the thread that connects every single thing in business. And so, if you want to be a successful entrepreneur, there's almost no skill I can think of that you can get better at that will advance you faster because it accelerates everything else that you may already be good at. Right? If you're a great programmer but you suck at selling, you need to get good at selling so you can go get people convinced that your programming is the answer. Yeah, that makes makes sense. And, and and giving us an example of your sales skills, tell us how you got a guy who is about ready to leave this group and uh, say f you to everyone there, and you somehow convince him to swipe a credit card for forty grand right there on the spot. Tell, tell us that story. <laughs> yeah, well, so okay, so um, you know, when you when you like I said, it's uh, mastery is is 
understanding something and distilling it to its simplest form, right? And so in, in the light of like why people say no to an offer, for example, and it doesn't matter what that offer is, let's just call it generically, you're trying to get a yes, mm-hmm. right? When people sit there, unless they tell you absolutely no, then they probably want to say yes, even if they are giving you a maybe or kind of giving you a dodge, right? And and here's here's what I fundamentally believed about this person, right? They weren't at this event if they weren't willing to be moving forward. They just hadn't seen what they were looking for, right? And so for this individual, it was a real simple conversation about, hey, what are you looking for, right? Oh my gosh, sounds like you actually were undersold, right? This was actually a classic case of somebody paying five figures, but not quite enough of five figures so that they were underimpressed, but you know, overbilled for what they felt the delivery was. And I basically figured out that the fit for this gentleman was that he had joined a group that was for getting people to where he was. And the next level was for people where he was to get to that thing. Right. And, mm-hmm. and that was a part of what I was in. And so I was basically just giving him kind of an inside peek of, Hey man, it's not about the value of the money, right? It's a value of what this access and proximity and everything else will bring you. And so that that will be in 12 months time, a drop in the bucket for that one small hinge that you find that swings open that massive door to the vault full of gold for you in the journey that you have. And so, it, you know, the, the conversation was really just a lot all about him, all about where he wanted to go, all about what he was feeling right now, why he was frustrated with the fit of what it was, because it clearly wasn't about price and it wasn't about payment, right? Swipe 40 grand on the spot. So you know, basically walked up to the, the, to the, to the team's closers and was like, you know, you guys have been trying all year. Justin got me in 20 minutes. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, and, and by the way, he's thrilled about it. I actually saw him record a social media post with the exact theme of investing in yourself as the best thing you can do. Yeah. Right. And this is somebody who was literally going to uh, be leaving, going home back to the grindstone away from the community, not super happy about whatever, and, and is now like fired up to be at the next event and be participating for the next year. So, but again, you got to believe that's possible. You got to know you can do it. And, and it comes down to how confident are you in the skills that you've developed from the number of at bats you've taken, right? It's not about taking some fucking course. It's not about like learning some philosophical or, you know, classroom kind of stuff. It's about getting out in the real world and, and taking the at bats to, to know that when, you know, uh, it's, there's a big difference between T-ball and like, you know, bottom of the ninth world series bases loaded, everything's on the line and, and you got to make that swing, right? Yeah. You got to, you got to have that confidence to step in that situation every time and knock the ball out of the park. Uh, and that's, that's what really digging the sales skills, right. will do for you. Cause, um, you know, I, I close to, I closed a lot more than just that 40, but, uh, that's just one example from the weekend. And by the way, that wasn't even for me. That was for a friend. That was literally just, I, they didn't even ask me to do it. I just was having conversations, close, closing business. So it's because I, I love to do it, by the way. And that's something that I, you know, for anyone listening who's like, oh, I need, I hate getting good at sales. Why? It's going to get you everything you ever wanted faster, yeah. easier, with less friction. Like, go get better at it. And if you want to start in one place that you don't have to be a great salesperson, start with learning to handle objections. Yeah, Because guess what? Those people are 99% of the way to yes. They want to get 100%, but they put up a small roadblock that you need to overcome. And you don't have to change anything about your business, your product, your offering, your traffic source, anything else. And you will instantly get 
more wins for what you're putting in, which means you'll get more out, which means you'll have more to reinvest, which means you'll be able to go bigger and better, which means you'll be able to accelerate everything that you're trying to do. And all those frustrations that you may be having as a cash flow issue, they all of a sudden start to just go away. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm very curious. So going back into objection handling, Obviously, so in our previous conversations, I like how you're you're very clear, like, Andrew, you know, one of the reasons why I'm good at sales is because I push people away who aren't a good fit for what I offer and, and what I can give to them. And you, you offer that polarity aspect of like, you know, you shouldn't have to try and convince someone who isn't a good fit for your product, your service. And, and so I'm curious, uh, obviously, I'm sure you have a great close rate. Are, are there still like... Do you lie awake at night thinking about any like quote unquote maybes of like people are like, oh, I know this can help me. I know it's a good fit, but I just I'm just not confident enough or excited enough for this service. And so I'm curious if, um, your thoughts on that. If that makes sense. So 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 number one, no, I don't struggle with that at all. Uh, and my close rate is ridiculous. But let me also say, I made a foolish mistake of focusing on my close rate instead of my close volume. Mm. Um, as a young salesperson, right? As a, as, a, as a young person cutting my teeth in sales. And so I, I'm way less focused on that now because it's really about just getting the most at bats because that's going to ultimately give you the most... Like. It, if I close at 100% and I do 10 appointments and you close at 50% and you do 100, doesn't matter, right? You're going to outsell me every freaking day, right? So it's the at-bats that matter. Now, we take those same 100 at-bats. I'm going to mop the floor with you, mm-hmm. right? I'll double, triple, quadruple produce you. Uh, I tell people, like, I can take what you do. I can instantly in five minutes sell it for more money, for faster, et cetera, right? And I, I have a knack for doing that. And I've made a lot of money finding great contractors who undersell their stuff, literally doubling, tripling or quadrupling their prices and going and selling it to people and making the margin. So getting 100% of the work done, taking that margin, plowing that into work for me and grow my stuff and accelerate my stuff. But if you're talking about objection handling, right? And you're talking about, you know, you, you asked about people who maybe they're, they're stuck on maybe, right? The, the tip that I would give to anybody who's listening is if you have someone who's stuck on maybe, then what you're not doing is digging in and you're not taking ownership of your responsibility to get them to either no or yes. And that's that's why I say I do a lot of pushaways is I'm like, hey, listen, I want you to have ultimate clarity. But at the same time, if I'm the person having this conversation with you and you think you need to go think about it. Who the hell's better than to think about it with than me? So what questions do you have? Let's dig in. Let's answer those. Let me, let's put it all on paper so you can make a decision. Cause guess what? This maybe thing ain't going to work for either one of us. I'm going to be staying up late at night. You're going to be wondering, you're going to be saying, Oh my gosh, is this right for me? Right. Just get to know or yes. And by the way, I can live with no, it's totally fine. No harm, no foul, no hard feelings. I'm, I'm going to move on. Right. And that's the, the key of lining up more at bats is you can genuinely not be clinging, trying to get that yes, because that's the only way to genuinely handle an objection is to be emotionally detached from the outcome. Make it a decision about what's best for them. Hey, does maybe do you any good? No, it leaves you in limbo. It leaves you stuck. It leaves you going in a circle. It does not get you moving forward. And so let's get from 
maybe to either no or yes. I'm cool with either one, but you need traction. And by the way, that means if it's not a yes here, you need to go find satisfaction elsewhere. And I would love to point you in a better direction if I'm not the right fit. I want this to be a decision about you. This is your process. This is your decision to own. And you've expressed to me that you have goals and I want to figure out whether or not this is a good fit, because if it is, then I know what we have. And this is the key to having a good product or service, right? You have to have bomb proof confidence in what you're selling to know that if you find the right fit, getting them into it with a yes means they're going to experience the result that you promised. And if you have that bomb proof confidence, then you can get people very confidently from maybe to, to no or yes. Right. And, and you got to be fine with the no's because if it's not a good fit, all that's going to become is a chargeback, a hassle, a negative social media post, a bad review on Google, a cancellation, somebody who goes and starts a, a you know, depending on who it is and how pissed off they are about it. Right. Like, and, and this is why transparency and integrity in your sales process and everything you do is so important is because the more you manipulate to get someone into a yes, the worse they feel about it after. And what I'm doing is flipping that process on its head with the fit. And I'm saying, hey, unless you're a thousand percent sure before you sign up, I don't even want to entertain the thought of yes. Mm hmm. Yeah. Right. It's almost. And, and by the way, that work, that's not going to work for like a $19 product. Okay. Right. It's for, it's for when people are actually making an investment in themselves and they're committing to something serious, you know? So for people who may have a higher ticket item or, you know, a program or whatever it is that may be listening, that's, that's a great way to make sure that people are really committed and ready to say yes, as you just start pushing and taking away. But there is a process to that. There's right. There's, there's some methodology there, but, but generally if you're getting a lot of maybes, then you're not digging in enough and you're not, you're not answering the concerns that people have before you ask for the yes. So. And, and how do you handle it? I, I know in my own experience, I'm sure other people have experienced this before too, that like people are like, Oh, uh, I need, I need time to pray on it. Or I promised myself I would never make a decision here in this moment, but I promise I'll get back to you tomorrow. And granted, you know, you know, obviously I'm still going through my own sales journey too. You know, some of them have come back the next day and say, yeah, I want to sign with you. But of course, 90% of those people who do come back the next day, they're like, oh, yeah, I thought about it. I don't want it anymore. And so um, how do you handle yeah, those responses of people like, oh, I, I just I, I can't make a decision today no matter what because I have to pray on it. Or um, I promised myself that I would never make a decision within one call or something like that. How do you handle those rejections? Before they ever come up. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Pre-screening. -pre <laughs> just kick off your call. Hey, I'm going to ask you at the end. You want to move forward. I expect you to be getting enough to answer and make a decision. And if it's a no, I'm totally cool with it. If it's a yes, that's great. Let's move on. If not, fine with me, right? Stop building up this like, oh my God, are they going to say yes? Are they going to say no? Oh my, God, oh, my God, oh my God, right? Oh man, I'm freaking out if somebody needs to think about it. Because you know what? If they genuinely need to pray about it, and I'm not saying people don't, right? I know people like this and they're good people and they, they will make those decisions or or on those spouses that they have to talk things of a certain level over right with with that partner. And that's fine. But find out before you ask for yes. Mm. And by the way, if that's the case, get that fucking person on the call with you. Yeah. Because mm -hmm. if you're not talking to a decision maker, you've set yourself up for failure from the get. Mm -hmm. Right. 
So handle that before it ever comes up and it's never going to be a big deal ever again. Now, if somebody insists on saying some stupid shit like that at the end, after you've already handled it and they didn't pre-tell you, and then they bring up like, oh, I'll pray about it. It's like, oh, well, that's why I was asking. It's being a call. Hey, Mrs. Jones, I totally understand if we're talking about signing a 30-year mortgage that you would absolutely want to pray on it. But let me just ask you a question. You ever bought a Snickers or a Coke at the store because you were just going through checkout and you just thought it was a good idea and you went with it and you liked it, right? Okay. So is this closer to signing a mortgage or closer to Snickers? <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And and if they say it's closer to the mortgage, no problem. Go think about it. It's closer to Snickers. Let's dig in. Let's let's figure out. Let's think about how to get from maybe to never yes. Right. And that's not the exact process. It's a quick summary. I wouldn't probably go with directly that verbiage, but you know, you can take it, massage it into your own. Um, because anyone who's trying to take anything verbatim out of my mouth and run with it isn't me and it's gonna not land, right? So you gotta take all of this stuff boil it down to its core and then put your own dressing wallpaper, et cetera, on blueprints, right? You you get the framework and then you put your own personality, your own panache, your own style, your own brand, put that as, as the the showcase around it. Right. And then you're good to go. Oh, I love that. And, and and speaking of a mortgage, um, what are your thoughts on people getting into deep credit card debt or having to put their house up to invest in themselves I know like Ramit Sethi, he's, he's a big influencer and he goes, I don't let anyone sign up for any of my programs if, if they're signing up with a credit card. Like I can't, I, I'm not going to make anyone go broke over me. But on the other hand, you know, people are like, well, massive transformation requires massive risk sometimes. And it's okay if you have to live in the street for a week to transform yourself or something. And but I'm curious uh, your, your thoughts on that. So forgive the bird clock. It goes off at the hour, number one. Uh, but uh, no, I, I completely and wholeheartedly agree. I actually heard a story yesterday that, that kind of it literally made me like physic. Like I, I, uh, I know the person uh, I know. I know both of the people involved, right? Um, not really well, but I know. And it just really bothered me at a core level uh, the way that that happened. And so when someone's not a good fit, that's why I'm so adamant about that. And I'm very, I'm very, I'm very strict about those criteria. I have it very identified. Who is this for and who is it not for? And so, no, I don't think you should take, now there's a difference between putting a thousand dollars on a card or $5,000 on a card when you got a a limit that's way more than that. And you got a way to at least, even if you couldn't pay it off immediately, you know, if it went south, you could pay for it. Right. But putting yourself in inexplicable debt or, or, or just like this, you know, pie in the sky kind of promises, like you could mortgage your house and play this. Okay. I'm not going to give any investing tax accounting. Any of that. Not, <laughs> yeah. <just oldest> <laughs> you're good. You're good. <laughs> like none of this is advice that you should do anything. I know less than anything about anything. Don't take anything I'm saying verbatim. I'm not a professional. I'm a college dropout who knows nothing. And I'm never <laughs> right. Of course. So, of course. <laughs> um, all, all of that being said, uh, if you are going to, take out a mortgage on your home, right? If you're going to HELOC, do something stable, do something predictable. There are people who will take that money for you that are professionals that will literally invest it and make money for you with it. So if, you know, if it's not something that's tried, true and proven, don't be sold on the sexiness of being an entrepreneur. Make sure you can carry the weight before you sign up. And, and I can't tell you how many people I've run into who have signed up on, on being sold the sexy and the shiny without being told about the, the 
dirty, low down, nitty gritty. The fact that most of it's not fun and it's not supposed to be that there's a lot of really boring shit, right? That you're going to have hard conversations and uncomfortable moments, like all of that stuff that people they jump into without it's like, it, yeah, I, I kind of use the analogy. It's like learning how to swim in the classroom, then thinking you're qualified to just go jump off a three meter into the deep end and take care of yourself. Right. Like you don't even know what water feels like. Yeah. Yet you're going to go jump in a 12 foot thing when you're four foot tall. And right. You want to, and it's like, yeah, sure. You, you know, conceptually how to swim, but you gotta, you gotta learn the mechanics of it. Right. You gotta get up to speed. So it, it's for people who are doing that kind of stuff on a hope, I think it's a horrible idea. If you're going to invest in something that you truly believe in and it's yours and you have the equity, et cetera, but just to get into some program, just to get into some course, just to join some community, let other people drink that Kool-Aid and have the same results as the people who drink the Kool-Aid. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like don't, don't be that don't be that don't be the person falling for that shit they'll get someone else your money is better spent elsewhere just to be blunt about it well and just playing the devil's the advocate way, I, oh, go ahead. full disclosure yeah. i invest a ton of money and an, an insane amount of money in getting into those groups and programs etc but i would never tell someone who's not ready to do so right like the forty thousand mm-hmm. dollars that the guy swiped on the amex just full disclosure He's good for it, right? <laughs> yeah. He's he's get, he's doing that when it, a wire transfer is fully possible. He's just leveraging the value of having the credit, getting the points, doing all of those things and making his money work for him, which is something that's awesome, right? I do the same thing. I put everything through cards that get me rewards, et cetera. And I try to play the financial advantage at every stage that I can for whatever percentages I can. But I wouldn't be doing that if that were my last dollars of credit and I had no opportunity. It's that right. So you gotta, you gotta really either be kind of crazy and believe in yourself or you should avoid that entirely, right? Do it when you're ready. There's lots of places to level you up along the way, do what's appropriate for where you're at and accelerate on time. Cause if you tried to go from zero to a hundred on a little, like what are those little rentable scooter things, right? Mm-hmm. You're going to die. Yeah. Right. You you need a vehicle that can go zero to a hundred before you actually attempt to do that. So don't be the scooter trying to, you know, do the crazy like Lamborghini thing. That's 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 the best analogy I can make. No, I I like it. And just like we were talking about earlier, like uh yeah, you can't go from being out of shape to trying to run ten miles at a five minute pace. Like it's just your your body's not able to handle it. I mean, I know like David Goggins, you know, he, he tried to do it. I, I guess I, mean, I think he, he sort of did it. And, you know, he was literally peeing blood and like both his ankles were broken and like, yeah, he did it. But was the cost worth it? No, probably not. <laughs> yeah. And this is this is the thing I don't think entrepreneurs realize is like, listen, if any of like if you if you're not willing to walk into the business ring and get punched in the face until you're knocked unconscious and lose everything, be an employee. Mm, yeah, that's real. Mm-hmm. seriously so many people want the the sex and the glamour and the glitz and all that stuff and they don't want like they want the sex drugs and rock and roll but they don't want to put the 16 hours a day that slash put in when he dropped out of high school from age like 14 or 16 or whatever to become the the lead guitarist for guns and roses right they just want to be the dude on the stage wearing the top hat jamming out getting yeah. ladies throwing underwear <laughs> at him and all that and he ate, you know crazy stuff that was going on back then so mm-hmm. uh and and now by the way greatest one of the greatest concerts I've ever been to uh, when they did their reunion in Nashville. But my point is simply like, if you value security more than you can handle risk, 
you don't need to be an entrepreneur. And there's lots of ways to get involved in business ownership and entrepreneurship that don't involve you being the dude or the gal. Don't involve you being the rock star. Don't involve you being the sun to the solar system. Don't involve you being, you know, all the the, the guru. I, I won't get started down that path. <laughs> yeah. Um, whatever. But right. So, yeah, I mean, there's there's it, I, I just I just think too many people like there's nothing wrong with getting a great education in something valuable that's going to get you a great career with a great company or in a great field that will help you make all the money and have the security. And because you can take that stuff, you can invest in real estate. You can, you can invest in these wild entrepreneurs that want to go work hundred hour weeks for five years straight and do all that stupid shit on their own time and dime. Right. And you can give them a little bit of seed and get some equity. So there's, there's all kinds right? So just, Starting a business because you had a great idea is pretty much the worst idea to way to become an entrepreneur, but it's how almost all of us do it, right? So yeah. either either by accident or by force. Like a lot of entrepreneurs are entrepreneurs because they are unemployable. Otherwise, I probably fall into that category. Like I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't think anybody would want to have me reporting to them, right? It's not <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty uh, pretty not good at that. But I find people who are great at that that work under me and do all that kind of stuff and put on my team and right. So in, 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 in any organization, that's really important. So what I know another tricky thing about entrepreneurship too is I follow a guy, ben, Dr. Benjamin Hardy, and he says the number one trait of successful people and entrepreneurs is people who take an action or decision of the point of no return. Mm-hmm. And he gives an example of a kid who wants to start a um, shoe business. And so rather than trying to buy one shoe and resell it and buy two shoes and resell those, he like spends all of his money, takes out maximum credit and gets 300 pairs of shoes at once. And they arrive at his doorstep and he's like, crap, I guess I better start selling these now. And and I like what you said too. I can hear some static in the background too, by the way. I'm not sure if it's on my end or your end. I think it's getting turned down a little bit now, but maybe a little bit. There we go. But basically, I'm curious how you talk about like you know, filtering people. Like, do you have a method of knowing whether or not people are able to take that um, no return decision and be successful at it versus take that no return decision and then cross their fingers and hope it works out that they just invested into this $50,000 mastermind or whatever. And they're like, well, everything should work out now kind of thing. Like, how, how would you filter people to know if they're ready to, to make that point of no return decision or not? So that's a great question. I think situationally, you have to evaluate individually, right? For whatever the person, the investment, the opportunity, the program, all of that. If we want to take it really high level, right? And we want to we want to say very generally, how are you going to filter people? You you should know. Uh, and, and by the way, are you asking, let me just to, to clarify and best answer the question, are you asking from the perspective of the person considering the $50,000 investment or the person asking for the $50,000 investment? Uh, I guess I, I think because it goes back to, you know, as you know, as genuine salespeople who want to help people, you you, you want to believe in your product, you want you know, your product works, you know, your services work. But you also, like you said, don't want to have people who invest in you and then don't do anything. And then and they're like, mm-hmm. give you bad reviews and stuff like you still want to be able to turn people away, but also still have confidence in your product that people who do commit and do go all in, they will be successful based on your offer, essentially. Well, so, so, okay, great. Then that, I, that gives me a lot of clarity. So dig into your offer and figure out who's, who's a good fit. Who's not a good fit. Let's start with the, it's oftentimes a lot easier to define who's the great fit by, by defining who is not a fit at all. Mm-hmm. Right. 
like I can give the same information, the same stuff to somebody who's at five figures in business or six figures in business or seven figures in business or eight figures in business or nine figures in business. And you know what? i tell all of them the same kind of stuff because it's all pretty fundamental, but their ability to do something with that, their ability to recognize the value in it and their ability to project that value to their level of operation and exercise, right? Is, is all dependent. So if you're at the, the five figure business operations, cause it's a side hustle or whatever, you shouldn't be spending the 50 grand, yeah. right? You should you, like, that should be something that's not like, and, and let me say this, if you have that kind of confidence and you just want to throw it at it, cool. Like the, the credit card example, but let's use those shoes. For example, the criteria would be like, okay, cool. Do you have the ability to sell before we ship you all these shoes and the training right mm-hmm. before we do this stuff? Do you have, backup funds to advertise or do you have a, an audience to get in front of or do you have the, the 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 trappings that will make you successful and and hey by the way you're not qualified if you don't have uh let's just pick something arbitrary five thousand people within five miles of your house if you're getting these shoes shipped to you and you got to sell 300 pairs right like you, you can decide those things that make someone qualified or not and if you have too many people that aren't qualified, just develop a damn product for those people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Sell above or below where you're at, figure out a way to monetize and make it valuable. Do it without over leveraging your time. And there's a whole new revenue stream that you can probably turn into an evergreen monetization and profit center. Mm. Right. Like uh, don't, don't force square pegs in round holes, either shave the damn square peg into a round peg, find a square hole or make a square, make a circular peg, right? Like that's appropriately sized. Like, and by the way, you can do both. You can, you can simultaneously go look for a square hole and find the circular thing. And now you have two things, right? You're making twice as much money. So it just, you know, too many people get, they get in the trenches and bogged down with like, my solution is the, the thing that these people need. They're so focused on themselves that they fail to realize the other person is actually the one making the decision. It goes back to, you can't sell shit. They have to buy. Yeah. Right. So, but to, to answer like, how do you filter people out? It's determining what makes somebody absolutely not qualified. And then asking yourself what makes somebody absolutely qualified and then when they're definitely in that other in that qualified category, push them to yes. When they're in the maybe category, help filter them. And when they're definitely not qualified, let them know and stop wasting everybody's time. Send them something to make them feel better. Give them something for free. Send them off to a video. It's as simple as like, hey, here's a YouTube video someone else did that will help you out for where you're at based on what you told me. I like that. I like that. Yeah, just filtering. Uh, that makes a lot of sense. And like going back to like for the five figure person, like, hey, I know you can't afford 50 grand or I wouldn't want you to um, <laughs> put 50 grand on the line if you're making five figures a year, unless you're like an inheritance or something like that. Like, but here's a smaller step. And if you can pass this step and we can keep moving forward essentially. So um, even if they have the inheritance, they have a five figure business. That's putting the scooter on the fucking racetrack for the drag strip next to the Lamborghini. That person's going to fail. They're going to crash. And if you get them to a hundred miles an hour, they're probably going to die. Even if they yeah. have, right. <laughs> so, true. yeah. So that's, that's why I'm saying like, it's important that you understand that fit. It's, it's, it's imperative for the next. Yes. So many entrepreneurs, fuck their company by being focused on the first yes and not the next yes. Mm -hmm. Get your first one in a way that sets up your next one. Mm, I love that. 
And and uh, you're only focused on the one, then it's transactional, and you have no distinguishing value whatsoever, and you're a commodity that will be replaced and garbled up by the, you know, market and and good riddance to you. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that makes sense. And right, uh, you're driving up fucking ad costs, and I don't appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, seriously, yeah. Thank, thanks for that. <laughs> and then speaking of uh, talking, you talk about the five, six, seven, eight figures. It's another a nine figures. Another question I want to ask for you and. Um, it's pretty cool. I think you mentioned you 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 know Alex Ramosi, and and obviously he's gone viral. I've, I've, I've met him. I wouldn't call us friends. I'm just oh, okay. Yeah, like not like yeah. So I don't I don't want to have any false impression on a recording. Okay, no, all good. Uh, like, but you're, you're, you're aware of his content, and yeah, you're aware. That, yeah, aware of his stuff. I'm I'm in the circles he's in, right? Like I've I've probably uh, I've got I definitely have people that are his buddies in my phone, right? But I wouldn't I wouldn't say he and I are like in any way linkable. That makes yeah, at, the, at that level, just right. Like we've done some daps at some conferences. So no, that, totally. So, so he went viral for saying, Oh, in order to get to a million dollars or to seven figures, you have to have one product, one service, one offer. Um, and I'm just curious your perspective on what it takes to go from five to six to seven to eight to nine. And um, what, what advice you have for the audience there, essentially. If you're, if you're not at six, just go sell, right? Like just go get the at bats selling your stuff so that you can fit. Cause you don't know what people will buy, right? You've just, you've gotten some yeses and you've had some money come through the door, but you don't have, you don't know what people are excited to buy, right? Just go ask for more yeses. When you're at six, uh, figure out how you can scale those yeses and get more of them and, and ultimately take yourself out of that process because that's how you're going to go from low sixes to high sixes, maybe even to the seven. When you get to the seven, you got to have some other things in place. And by the way, you don't have to have just one product or one thing. You should have a core thing that you're really good at, but you can have steps up to that. Uh, I, I would say that I, I would say the better way to phrase that, in my opinion, would be choose your one vertical, maybe one ascension path, right? That would consist of multiple products to help people at multiple stages based on the fit so that you're not wasting all of your outreach resources to get a bunch of leads that you can't process or monetize or turn into fans or do something with, right? When you're going from seven to multi-seven, that's about doing something. Like anyone can get to seven through sheer like brute force and ignorance and hard work. Uh, if you just do it hard enough, right? It's it's really not that hard to break through seven if you just really get committed to it. But you know, going from seven to multi-seven is where you're going to start having to put in better systems. You're going to have to start putting in better people, right? You're going to have to start investing in recruiting and talent, and you're going to need to attract. You have to have the back end to scale, right? Because everybody thinks, oh, I'm just going to scale. And it's like, if you scale and you don't have the back end, you're going to break what you have and destroy the good thing that you got going. So when you're going from multi-sevens to eight, you need to have had all that infrastructure in place. And you really need to have your acquisition and, and other like customer acquisition and other backend efficiencies. Um, and then eight to nine is like, that's where you're talking about a growth through acquisition. You're talking about potentially mergers, uh, big things, but like even so, so like, let me, let me backtrack all the way to even the people in the five figure thing. Like one thing I wish I'd known forever ago was business credit, right? Like I wish I had known about building that previously. Right. And so anyone who's, who's interested, feel free to reach out on my website or whatever. We can get you hooked up with some cool people, but it's, it's something where like any of the the valleys that I was experiencing as an entrepreneur, if I had been focused on leveraging the successes to build that credit within the business, 
instead of just relying on personal credit because they're two totally separate things, right? I would have been able to have my personal credit and my business credit and not have to risk one or the other to do all these things. And it would have made the low periods way more doable. And it would have made the highs way more multipliable because I would have had the ability, like, let's say you sell through all your inventory because you got a viral video. Well, if you've got to go order all new inventory and the runtime is six or eight weeks and right, you can't capitalize on that momentum. But if you've got business credit lined up, you got lines, you got uh, credit cards, whatever it is that you can leverage for the business, that's where it makes sense to, to take on good debt. Right to capitalize on sales momentum, get your name out there, uh, maybe get a larger order for lower prices, faster shipping, priority delivery, keep those ads rolling, benefit from the algorithm juice that you've been giving it. Instead of, oh man, we sold a ton of stuff. Now we've lost all the momentum because we had to turn the ads off. The algorithm has to relearn again. Oh, we're waiting eight weeks. Now all these people who buy in today's like yesterday was forever ago economy you know, you're totally like any of that traction is gone. But if you have those things lined up, you can take advantage of opportunities that present themselves that you weren't necessarily prepared for. And so there's, there's stuff like that, that anyone can do at any level, but I hope, and, and by the way, going to nine figures, not my specialty. I know some people who do it, know people who go from nine to 10, but it's, uh, I, I stay in my lane. Right. And I'm very good at that. And I stay like, and that's, that's again, going back to fit. Like I'm totally comfortable telling people, Hey, too big for me, not my specialty. There are other people for that. Like, I don't want your money. even if you wanted to throw it at me, cause that's not, that's not the fit for me. And it's not where I'm going to be most effective. And, and that ultimately that comes back to me wanting to do what I say I'm going to do for people. Right. No, it makes sense. Yeah. And, uh, and that's super cool too. Cause I, you know, I like, uh, you know, and dad also taught me what Henry Ford used to say is like, I don't have the answer, but I know someone who does. <laughs> right. 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 And that's, and that, and by the way, when you're at that like high six to seven figure, that's where that kind of stuff really starts making a difference because you're going to find people who have gone through all the similar stuff. That's when like, okay, you got a million, couple million dollar top line company. That's when spending 50 grand on joining that type of stuff makes a lot of sense, right? Anything above that, because you're going to start meeting people who can accelerate what you're doing so much faster, right? You're going to get the connections that pull you forward into the future rather than, you know, the, the dead weight that you've picked up along the way that's holding you anchored back to the past and your old yeah. self-limiting beliefs that people desperately cling to that leave them stuck and uh, basically satisfied with the misery they've accepted in their lives because they're not willing to make the hard decisions and the commitments to themselves to do what it takes to break through that next level, right? I'm not somebody who's going to sit there and say, screw your mental health. You should, you know, grind forever. Like literally, again, I want to reiterate, do not work 100 hour weeks. Don't work anywhere close to those. It's insane, right? I re I regret very much the things that I gave up in that stage of my life to do that. But I also benefited tremendously from what that gave me in, in terms of the competitive edge of the gap that it put me, you know, ahead of. Right. So, so that was beautiful, but it, it's also like, Hey, you've got to be honest with yourself. Like, do you think you want something or are you actually willing to do what it takes to get it? And that's, that's a, that's a fundamental question of entrepreneurship that people need to, you know, ask and answer for themselves. Well, it makes sense. 
Well, as we uh, wrap up here, Justin, I know we have a couple minutes left or a few minutes left here. Uh, I know we've been having the people on the cliffhanger of their seat. Uh, we've got to hear that Thai story. What, <laughs> what the heck happened? How'd you get there? How'd you get out of it? That's uh, we got. We got to hear that story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, um, so so uh, for anyone who really uh, really wants to know the whole the whole version. Uh, go to bulletinbangkok.com and hop on the waiting list. And if you, uh, I'll give, I'll give you the the real short version. Um, but basically, I landed in in Bangkok, and there was uh, there was a bullet in my bag, and they take uh, they take things really seriously. It, you know, um, I, if you've never traveled abroad or you've never had any kind of legal experience elsewhere, and you're from America, right? It's a uh, we, we really do have the best justice system on the planet. It's insanely flawed. I'm not going to sit here and argue at all that it doesn't have lots of issues, but it's the best version there is, right? Because in Thailand, you're guilty until you can prove you're innocent, right? So basically they, they charge me with the same equivalent of bringing like a pallet of AK-47s across the Laotian border under the cover of midnight for landing in the country with one live round and a few spent shell casings. And I was almost charged with a military crime immediate, which would have meant immediate adjudication sentencing and start serving like literally like same day, next day I was thrown in jail. Um, I basically had to bribe my way through everything. They had seized my passport illegally. And, you know, I, I basically had to, every time I got some news back from the attorney, it was like, Hey, by the way, someone else found out we're going to have to grease another palm. This is going to get more expensive. We're trying to accelerate getting you out of here. And so, you know, long story short, um, kind of, kind of bribed my way through the system. Uh, it was kind of at the end, end of it and had even had a court, I had to basically plead guilty, had a court order, uh, to, to mandate a court order to be out of the country in a designated time frame. I refused to pay a final, like $10,000 bribe. And basically they charged me with another immigration crime for overextending my visa, even though you can't get it renewed when you're charged with a crime and they had seized my passport. So I couldn't get it renewed anyways and all this other crazy stuff. So basically like the government there is built on a lot of corruption. And so they basically forced me to be rearrested. Uh, I had to go back to immigration detention. Um, I ended up getting deported and escorted basically like by an armed guard from tied uh, immigration jail to the airport and all the way back to LAX. Uh, I ended up just kissing the ground on the airport when I got home. Yeah. Um, literally. Yeah. Like if you want to know how sweet freedom really and truly and precious it is, right. I was willing to kiss the disgusting floor of LAX when I got off the plane because I, and I'm, and I'm, I'm not even exaggerating. Literally. I just got down on my knees and I was so thankful to be back. Uh, because it was it was such an unbelievable journey. But it's also why I say, like, listen, if, if something's going on in business, you don't have any problems, right? If the problem is solvable through a checkbook, go sell more, go get more money, go find someone who can help you. It's not really a problem, right? If your family's healthy, you don't have problems, right? If your loved ones are, are in your life, you don't have issues. So, you know, if, if you find yourself wallowing in misery, just remember, you have it within you to make the choice about how you're going to view things and what you're going to do about them. And you can either sit where you are and be happy about it because you, you have no other choice or you can be miserable about it because you have no other choice, but the choice is yours. Right. And, and you're the one giving yourself uh, those limits if you have them. So um, yeah, it was a crazy story. Uh, there's obviously a lot more to it. It was, uh, it was pretty, pretty uh, there's some hilarious parts to it, right? There's some really scary 
freaking parts to it, right? Like I should actually still, as we're recording right now, I should be in Thai prison right now, still serving the 10 year sentence for arms trafficking. So uh, yeah, man, it's, it's a great day to be on the podcast with you. And, uh, and really, really appreciate you, you know, digging in with asking some great questions and, and hope, hope everyone was finding this valuable, right. Uh, along the way, it could always be worse. Right. So, uh, <laughs> exactly. Well, uh, yeah, Justin, this has been awesome. Um, if people want to get a hold of you, contact you, um, what's the best way they can do that and, uh, get resources from you and, uh, yeah, connect with you essentially. Yeah, I, I'm sure we could put a link to a, a freebie. I can put together something, you know, like the, you know, so I've got a, a list of, uh, 40 some odd growth machines that I use to move the multiples in these companies. So I'll, I'll slap together, not the whole thing, but you know, uh, we'll call it half of them, let's call it 20 of them that uh, we can give to people if they want to get, grab a link from the podcast, uh, go to justintwhall.com If you want to join my newsletter, read anything on the blog or see where I get featured on podcasts and stuff like this, uh, or just connect with me on LinkedIn, Justin TW Hall, um, search for me, shoot me a message. Just make sure you mention this, uh, this podcast and Andrew, uh, give him some props. So I know who you are, how you're coming to me and, uh, looking forward to hearing from you, chatting with you. And if, uh, if you fit, if you're a good fit for me, uh, can do a lot of cool stuff to help you towards that multi-million dollar exit. Um, or, and if not, I can hopefully put you in the right direction. So thank you so much for your time, man. And, uh, this has been awesome. Yes. No, thank you. Well, this concludes another episode of Rapid Results, everyone. Episode 30. Tune in for our next episode 31 coming in next. And uh, we'll see you all soon. Thank you, everyone. Cheers. That concludes another episode of Rapid Results. Remember to leave a review about something you learned so others can share the knowledge. Keep being unstoppable in your pursuit of the lifestyle freedom you desire. And we'll see you next week.